This episode of Converge with my guest, Chris Palmieri, is sponsored by WeaveWriter. WeaveWriter empowers you to write every day, tell better stories, and make every word count through the power of habit. For more information, check out WeaveWriter.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. If there's one truth in business and creativity, it's that if you're helpful, there always seems to be a market. My guest today is Chris Palmieri, and Chris is a very unique designer, creator, developer based out of Japan, yet he does his work everywhere. And as you'll find in this discussion, the reality of what it takes to make cool things, but not only make cool things, but useful things that make people's lives cool might be one of the most viable businesses you could ever come up with. There's a progressive investment of creativity into what you make. There's a progression in the feedback loop that you get from the community. There's a progression in the exposure of your ideas to the outside world. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Chris Palmieri, welcome to Converge. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's so funny. We were joking before we started the recording. Your life, it sounds so exotic to someone who lives here in the West. You are a designer, you're creative, and you have jokers like me who get in conversations and and think it's all about your context of where you're at. But in truth, you know, where you happen to plug in your internet and get your work done is pretty irrelevant, but yet it, it does seem to have an influence in your work simultaneously. Talk a little bit about your history, what got you to Japan and uh, some of the work that you're doing, I'm going to brag on you for you in a minute. You're a pretty understated guy. I'd love to have people just hear a little bit of what got you to be a creative, to me, in a foreign land that has such an impact on so many of us here on the West. Sure. So my sort of first contact with Japan came somewhere in the middle of my, my undergrad at the University of Illinois when I was studying graphic design. When I entered the design program, I had a bit of an underdog complex because, you know, I was never the, the you know, sort of class artist in high school or anything. I, w- I was really coming in quite underprepared for the major. And so I asked um, the head of the program, is there any anything I can do to supplement my design classes to, you know, catch me up to the rest of the class? And he said, yeah, you should uh, sign up for this Japanese flower arrangement course. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And so I, you know, I ran down and, and signed up for this Japanese flower arrangement class uh, with uh, Professor Kimiko Gunji. But she uh, she really beat me up in, in sort of the best way possible. I, mm. you know, if you've ever tried ikebana, is the, the Japanese word for it. It's really, you know, one of these things that you can spend your lifetime, you know, chipping away at and still feel like you've explored sort of 0.1% of the field. And I, I think that that humbling moment of, of just being so bad at something, no matter how hard I tried, 
and you know having the, the source of that discipline be in Japan sort of drew me out of my comfort zone, which at that time was you know American rock and roll and sort of Western graphic design. I felt very comfortable working in you know sort of certain styles and um, you know having my work evaluated in that way. And all of a sudden, you know, I was essentially starting starting from scratch. And so I sort of pulled on that that cord a little bit, and eventually it it led me to Tokyo. Now, now it's funny as you're describing that dynamic. It reminds me a little bit of you know the the lore of Steve Jobs and how he took. He'll point to the uh, the few classes he took at Reed College, and he was studying like fonts and how he'll he'll say that that had some of the most significant influence on his design aesthetic. Is it that kind of mm-hmm. dynamic where it kind of coming in from a a lateral area that you might not have anticipated, but that that brings a, a fresh perspective on on the design work, especially given, like I noticed even as you're saying that there was some kind of acknowledgement to design from the established perspective that when you brought in that Japanese sensibility, um, mm-hmm. that that's somehow with a value add. Is that, is that ballpark what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Japan has, you know, an incredible uh, history of, you know, d- different aesthetic disciplines like arts and crafts that, you know, dates back thousands of years and that th- there's probably something specific about the way that Japanese aesthetics differed from what I was learning at the time that, you know, pushed me to think in a certain way. But, you know, it, I, I don't want to overstate that either because I, I don't think that, you know, every designer should go take uh, Ikebana. I think that you should always just be searching for, um, you know, ways of thinking about your work and entirely new worldviews as often as possible. Mine just happened to start with a Japanese one. Well, let, let's talk about that work. Uh, I was first introduced to, I mean, you've done so much for so many people. I mean, you have clients like Google and Asics and Gengo, and, and now you have this new company that you've co-founded with CraigMod called high.co and that that's actually where i got introduced to your work i was a one of the select i felt very special although i'm sure there were gazillions of us but the beta testers who had a chance to play with the idea of of coming up with with an idea that wasn't quite ready to be published to the world but i had a a beautiful aesthetic place to kind of put my idea up and have a few people say yeah i want to hear more and it was like an invitation to test a half idea before I got a chance to write more exhaustively. So for folks who don't know, in my experience with high.co, it's a, it's a place to go like on a mobile device. I, I have an idea. I'm in a certain context. I'm inspired. And I just put the idea up in a, in a Twitter-like sentence. But it's not published like Twitter where I have to overthink the final endpoint. I can just kind of very quickly throw ideas up. And then because of how people interact with it, I'm then invited to think more deeply, more carefully, more thoughtfully around it and, and maybe develop a more refined perspective on the idea. Talk a little bit about High in particular and your other work, like you know your client service business with AQ Works and uh, the stuff you've done with Tokyo Artbeat. I mean, it, it's so interesting to me, the different approaches. Uh, well, actually, the same approach, it seems you have to so many different areas of, mm-hmm. of uh, creativity and commerce. You know, I, I think one... You know, one principle that I like to bring to a lot of these projects, which you uh, express very eloquently, is in this idea of 
sort of progressiveness, uh, you know, not not in the political term, but that there's a progressive investment of creativity into what you make to high. There's, you know, a progression in the feedback loop that you get from the community. There's a progression in the exposure of your ideas to the outside world. And this is often a, a quite uh, underutilized tool by a lot of product designers working on the web and in apps. I mean, you know, we do a lot of consulting for startups as well. And usually the, the thing that takes them the longest to figure out is how to sort of choreograph that progressive give and take between the service and the user. And they sort of front load on one side or the other, and it will turn people off or it just will never turn into a sustainable business. And even if I look at um, Hi, I think the, the great thing about the tool is that it does not require a lot of upfront investment, but you still get a little something in return. You get a great writing tool and you get a bit of feedback from our community. And if you decide to invest a little bit more by writing a longer piece, then the quality and intensity of that feedback will sort of amp up as well. And it doesn't necessarily require you to be a calm calmness for the New Yorker. I mean, some of our most successful writers in terms of earning the most visibility on the website and the most feedback from the community, you know, they don't consider themselves writers. Um, they might not consider themselves photographers. It, they're just sort of treating it as this, this diary that just happens to be uh, exposed to this very supportive uh, community of people doing the same thing. Mm. But, you know, if I take the same concept and apply it to completely different contexts, we, we do a running application for uh, ASICs that helps people train for marathons. And, you know, we brought the same principle to this very different app in that, you know, if you sign up for the app and, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're trying to do, we give you a training plan that will take you from your current level and where you are today to the finish line of your race and, you know, sort of guide you through that process and sort of tell you how you're doing along the way. And it, it requires very little time. It's not about necessarily maximizing the amount of attention that you you associate with the brand, which is, I think, the way a lot of marketing is framed, but more about just associating the brand with your success, that you're actually able to achieve your goal because of the little you know set of tools that we provided for you. So, you know, I think that, you know, that lens of sort of giving back more than you take is something that is applicable to anyone sort of putting things out into the world that they, they want people to take notice or use as, as a way of, their, of uh, helping them get stuff done. You know, what I'm hearing so much in, in your description is it's a real intentional philosophy behind the design and creative process. And in it, I'm hearing a number of kind of virtues and values like patience and a real respect for the person that you are serving, like that the tool is serving. And, and it's really a, a series of incremental transactions, it seems, where, you know, you're, you're offering the tool up. If people choose to engage it a little, they get a little back. If they engage it a lot, they get a lot back. And I also love, too, that like when I contrast the world of writing right now, especially online, it's such an open landscape right now, it seems to me. Like we have plenty of like video, for example, as a medium, but in the writing space, I'm still just amazed. I think writing is a far more 
long-lasting technology. And what's striking to me about it is, you know, you have medium for kind of long-form writing, but mm -hmm. what high the integration of geolocation and photography as a photographer, I, I love that. And short and long form writing, it, it's kind of a somewhere between path and medium. Is that, and, and again, I'm just talking purely from a user perspective. Um, mm -hmm. does, am I getting it right? Or is, what else is there that I'm, I'm missing? Cause that's enough for me, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious when you, when you've created it, is that, is that the space that you're shooting for? Well, I think, I, you know, I, I almost think of the, you know, if you think of the, 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 the raw elements that you just mentioned, you know, sort of the photograph, the geolocation, the text, it's almost like the three chords of rock and roll, right? Like they can be remixed into, you know, any number of combinations and, you know, released as different applications mm -hmm. by, you know, by different startups and, and companies and organizations. Yeah. And there are enough combinations to result in, you know, any number of different uses. And, you know, we happen to choose this arrangement of chords. And, you know, I don't think we really knew what would come out of it in terms of use cases. And a lot of the ones that have, have come up as people have used it are way beyond our, our initial expectations. I mean, we have... Yeah, what are this, some examples of that? Well, there, there's one of our most popular um, topics right now on the site is actually drawing. And we have uh, a whole community of people who are, you know, just drawing things in their environment and, you know, taking a picture of their drawing or taking a picture of their drawing plus a little bit of the environment behind and then posting that with a little story of where they were at that time, what techniques they used or how they're feeling about their, you know, their progress as a drawer. And in a way, it's a, it's a form of documenting your environment, but it's also a way of supporting an activity, giving other people who like to draw the confidence to continue with this, you know, very, in some ways, very, uh, you know, archaic form of expression. Well, it's funny, like, I, I'm i in this constant conversation right now around writing, and I have my own little startup, I think I mentioned to you, called Weave Writer, and mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm wrestling with this notion of, you know, is writing a core human technology. And you, you know, you mentioned archaic, but in a sense, I'm like, yeah, but mm. more like classic, more like human. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, that was a, a disrespectful word for me to use for, you know, such an amazing activity. Well, I, I agree completely. Yeah. Well, and what I love about it though, is I, I hope it keeps those kinds of words uh, associated with it. Cause I want, I, in a sense, I want everyone to kind of really em embrace writing as, as a, a really human thing to do. On the other hand, right. it's, it's also a, for something as primal as writing, it's amazing to me how few people cultivate it. And uh, I love that that you're giving really accessible vehicles for people, at least with high accessible mm -hmm. vehicles for people to do just that in, in really clever ways and also do it with other creative mediums. So, you know, whether it be illustration or photography or whatever, and then these mm -hmm. kind of mashups of you don't know where it's going to go. I, I love, again, back to patience. I love your patience and your willingness to not be so locked in on how people are supposed to use it, but really just kind of almost like an offering and saying like, I wonder how they're going to use it with that kind of curious expectation. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, it would be, it would be foolish to sort of build something uh, around an, an initial hypothesis 
to what you consider 100% level of completion, put it out there in the world. And if people don't use it the way you expected, sort of abandon it and move on to the next thing. I mean, there's this conversation that happens on Hype around the writing that I hope is making people write more and write more thoughtfully and enjoy the activity of writing. But I also think there's a conversation that's happening between us and uh, our writers, which is that, you know, we're watching what, what they write and reacting not with writing, but with uh, new features or getting rid of things that, you know, they actually don't need, you know, composing uh, different pages of the site that highlight certain types of content, et cetera. Uh, you know, th that's a conversation that is accessible to, to anyone working on the web or in software. And, you know, the more that you pay attention and, and sort of foster that, that conversation, the, the better you're going to be at developing software that, that people love to use. And, and, and not just software, right? Like, it's funny, you mentioned offline, we were chatting about this new startup that you're experimenting with around mm -hmm. a very tactile, uh, <laughs> like analog real reality, a, a coffee product. And right. I, I jumped on, it's a Japanese only site, but I jumped on the site and looked at it. I, I translated it with Google translate and I'm looking at it. I'm like, if I'm reading this right, if the translation was right, you basically allowed, it's a subscription coffee service where you're, right. but you only let like 20 people sign up or something. Um, right. and I'm guessing, I mean, it sounds like the same kind of approach that you would do with software, but in a very non-software like product. Am I reading that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's very little software. I, the, so the, the service is called Kawakura. It's a, as you mentioned, a subscription coffee service. We worked at such a small scale. Uh, for, first of all, it was our first experience as as AQ working with physical goods and, you know, moreover, uh, perishable goods. And I wanted to be very careful about uh, giving ourselves the room to make mistakes and also give our first customers who, you know, are taking a chance on this completely unproven business, giving them as much attention as they need uh, to make sure that they're getting the best experience possible. But also learning as much as we can uh, from the conversation with those customers uh, about what is it that we're doing that makes them interested in paying, you know, to be honest, a quite expensive price for, uh, you know, a small amount of coffee. Like what, what's, what are we doing that makes that a valuable deal for them? And, you know, sort of conveying that information to our own team, but then also back to the coffee roaster. We worked uh, for the first round with a coffee roaster in Kyoto who produces really exquisite uh, roasts at, at a very, you know, small volume. And when we when we started our conversation with him, you know, he's such an analog guy. I mean, he, he didn't really know what an app was. You know, he was talking about coffee, you know, as sort of a form of rock and roll. And it took us sort of a while to to find a common language that we understood and that we could sort of translate that that philosophy to our customers. But then, you know, once we made that that transfer of values from the roaster to the customers, then it was our responsibility to take sort of the, the impressions and the feedback from the customers and relay that back to the roaster. And 
that's impossible to do out of the gates if you have you know 200 or 2000 uh, people that you're sending to coffee coffee to at that point understand of what you know, of all the things that you're doing as a service provider what what is the thing that people actually say this is it like this is what i i've been waiting for there's usually a little kernel there and then you can sort of build the business from that point around that that little kernel of value does that make sense oh yeah yeah i mean as you're saying that that building around the value uh, that little kernel and being patient to discover what that kernel is i gotta believe that's that's just tough i mean you have you have taste and a design kind of you you have sets of eyes and ears to sense of where things are going but for you to just go but i'm not totally sure i'm going to let it let it come out do you ever get impatient i mean i, I would go nuts i i would just want to know or just i'd want to guess and then bring it to market mm -hmm. um i'm i'm a pretty patient guy uh maybe almost to a fault <laughs> some, some would say <laughs> But, you know, I think the fact that we have a really healthy revenue flow through our work and client services uh, buys us the time to be patient. Hmm. Chris, when, when I first met you and reached out to you through AQ and my excitement and enthusiasm for High, and I was entertaining the possibility of actually contracting with you to help bring WeaveWriter future iterations of we've read to market and one of your pieces of advice right out of the gate was to think through use cases and this concept of well i'll let you speak to it but for me it was one of those kind of obvious concepts that i hadn't thought very intentionally about but since you've referenced that to me i thought about it extensively and it's really informed just the idea of iterating concepts uh, and design approaches that i just it contextualizes that for me. So for folks who are listening, who are making stuff and maybe have a predetermined idea of what they're making it for, but they, they don't, they haven't gone through the drill of being patient and learning. Talk a little bit about this exercise of developing use cases. Great. So, I mean, use cases are, it's sort of an, an old software concept. I'm guessing it predates the internet, but it's just this idea of taking you know, sort of this potentially complex piece of software that you have in your mind and breaking it down into little stories that start with a person who is going to use the, the software or, or the website that you make, um, their environment and their motivation, what, what they're trying to get done. And taking this person through a series of steps that help them accomplish either a mid sort of like a midterm goal or potentially a long-term goal and sort of the smaller that you can break down those stories i think the easier it is to uh then break uh, to to prioritize them and sort of get an idea of uh where you're providing the most value so if you're trying to create a, a writing platform for example you can think of that in many, many different ways uh, and provide value in, in, in many, many different ways. One would be as simply a writing tool. Something like IA Writer is really about, you know, creating, you know, the, the writing tool equivalent of 
you know, a hammer or a screwdriver. It's, it's really just helping you type words into the keyboard and save them as a document in sort of the most elegant way possible. So that's, you can sort of put yourself in the, the seat of, of the writer and think, okay, I sit down, I have this idea, I type it, like what, are, what do I need the software to do for me that helps me achieve my goal? You could also decide that um, actually what this writer really needs is not the tool, actually that, you know, there are, there are plenty that already exist, but they need some sort of feedback loop, whether it be with a community or with their editor, et cetera. And that's sort of another way that the very same uh, team of, of product developers could provide value. And um, depending on which of those stories you decide to spend the most time with, you'll end up with a very different uh, product and potentially a very different uh, type of customer. And, you know, it's, it's really important to kind of map that out very early to figure out where your comfort zone is, uh, where you think there's sort of the biggest hole in the market. And, you know, then very quickly, you know, mock up a, a prototype or, you know, sort of an, just a one-page proposition that you can put in front of someone who you want to be your customer and say, I'm, I'm going to go and build this software. Would you buy it? Would you use it? Uh, you know, there, there are different techniques for facilitating that conversation mm. so that the results you get are meaningful and, and help you make business decisions. But, um, you know, the, you can't present them with the five-year version of, of your plan because they won't know what to do with that. And it's probably not where you're going to be in five years anyway. You, you right. need to sort of you know, really compress that down to the one or two use cases where you're just going to light someone's world on fire. That like they're going to think about what they're doing in an entirely new way, or you're going to take this huge barrier out of, to 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 doing this activity out of the way and just you know help them sort of like zoom out into the universe. Yeah. Is that enough uh, mixed metaphors for you? Well, <laughs> I'll take them all, man. I I. I uh... It, it, it's it's just really inspiring to me. It it's really an invitation to think more carefully about you know. There's so much conversation around you know lean startup and minimal viable products and and what I love about the way you approach this, Chris, is it's it's so methodical and so you remove the complexity out of it. You're just saying, look, find one thing, one feature, one benefit, and just really do that well and and check to see if it if it's resonating with who you think you're talking to. <laughs> and it's funny, as you're describing it, I, I remember old things I've read or conversations I've had with guys, like one, one person, uh, I remember reading uh, Seth Godin describing his experience with creating uh, Squidoo. And he would talk about how he was just surprised by who was drawn in. And and it's grown into this really massive success. But he, he says, but I'm shocked by who is doing it and how they're using it. And mm -hmm. And he was careful enough to notice and tweak to get the results he was really looking for. Um, and that's so much of what I'm hearing you describing. And so much of it seems like what people would get if they had a chance to get involved with AQ. Talk, talk a little bit. If someone really, they have a, a big idea, they want to get engaged or at least start the conversation about what that could potentially look like for client mm -hmm. services. Uh, what, where, where do they go to get involved with AQ or talk to you guys? Uh, what are next steps? Uh, I, you know, we're extremely approachable. Uh, you know, the, the first step is just, just send us an email and 
tell us as much as you can about where you are right now, what you're thinking about, where your inspirations lie. And, you know, if we feel that there's a place for us to, to sort of help you along the road, then, you know, we'll usually set up, uh, you know, a hangout or if you're in town, you know, we'll, we'll meet up for coffee, et cetera. Everything starts from just talking and, and listening and, um, you know, sort of taking what is often the big blobbiness of like ambition and ideas and sort of sorting it out together. This was episode 028 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. ConvergePodcast.com is our home where you'll find past episodes as well as Go, our annual gathering for creatives looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by TripleScootMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for her audio production. And a special thanks to Chris for being with us. Visit him at aqworks.com. As usual, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a really big deal. And we are grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time.